Welcome back to another season of the Lead with Data podcast. In this exciting new season, we'll be focusing on engaging with leaders in the healthcare and medical sector who are at the forefront of leveraging data. It's evident that this industry has been underserved when it comes to effectively utilizing data, facing challenges with data privacy, data sharing. However, these challenges also present numerous opportunities for the sector to harness the power of data and drive decision-making and research. I'm thrilled to announce that I'll also be joined by my co-owner, Tracy Rowe, who'll be joining me to interview some of these incredible guests. Together, we're eagerly looking forward to discovering, learning, and gaining a deeper understanding of the impacts that data analytics can have in this industry. Stay tuned for some enlightening conversations that will shed light on the potential transformation brought about by data-driven practices in the healthcare and medical sector. Today on the show, I'm delighted to have Ben Coupe as our guest. Ben brings his extensive experience from one of Victoria's largest public health services to the conversation, sharing his remarkable career journey. We delve into the evolution of his role and its capabilities and the function that it was and where it is now, exploring the challenges and obstacles he encountered along the way. Ben also shares some of the effective strategies that he and his team have employed to help navigate this complex environment where you're trying to drive impact through analytics. As we've discovered from some of the discussions we've had with leaders in this field, the realm of healthcare data offers significant opportunities for growth and I look forward to sharing Ben's journey with you. Thank you very much, Ben, for joining me on the show today. It's okay. I'm glad for you to have me. Thank you. Um, So what I'll do, first of all, like I do with all the guests, is get you to introduce yourself and just give us maybe a brief background of what you've been doing and where you're at now. Sure. Yeah, so my name is Ben Coupe. Um, I work at Monash Health as a Director of Business Intelligence. So Monash Health is a large public health network in southeastern part of Melbourne running hospital, you know, in hospital services and out of hospital um, health services in the community. And so, yes, yeah, so my, um, my role is essentially to oversee the data analytics of the organisation, you know, as would occur in most organisations, everything from data engineering through to insights and advanced analytics and data governance and all of those typical activities. Yes, I've probably been working in the data analytics space for probably 20 years now um, through various companies and various roles. And yeah, I'm here where I am now. Excellent. And how did you fall into the healthcare sector, Ben? Because I suppose, as I mentioned to you, when we first talked about you coming on the show, you know, this season, we've really dedicated to focusing on analytics in the healthcare sector, because through discussions that we have with leaders all the time, one of the things we found is there's probably just a lack of awareness in the data community in general around what is involved with data analytics, but not just the data professionals, but also, I suppose, people like me, you know, who, where, yeah. where is our involvement when it comes to analytics in the healthcare sector? So really keen to understand when did, how did you fall into this particular sector? You've obviously been at Monash for quite some time. So um, yeah. how did you end up in, in this particular field? Yes, sure. So it was kind of probably, I guess, opportunistic. So I was, um, I was consulting at the time and I had, I had been consulting and done some work at Monash Health in a consulting role and then probably just, you know, developed some contacts there. And probably, probably four or five years later, um, was just caught up by one of the executives and we were having a chat and said they're looking for a, a, a BI manager and would I be interested in. So I was probably, you know, at the point. In my career where I was probably a bit tied with consulting and just going in and out of organizations for short periods of time, so looking for something more substantial. Um, I wasn't really sold, so to speak, by the fact that it was in health, but it was more the, the the position itself, you know, so it could have been 
any other industry, but um, it just happened to be health. And um, yeah, that's how, that's how it all happened. Excellent. Excellent. So when it comes to data, what are you most passionate about, Ben? Yeah. So I think um, probably just seeing how data can be used to add value to, you know, a person's role or um, a particular business unit or organization. So, you know, we, as data professionals, we, you know, we get excited about all the technical things like writing careers and building dashboards or building apps or whatever. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, just it's it's when you can see that what's been developed is actually making a difference and adding value to either people or the organization and you know you're making their lives you know better or you're you're making the organization better or more productive it's probably those things excellent excellent and look that's yeah. not too dissimilar to what most data professionals say i think it's yeah. really the impact that you're able to have through the analytics is probably what um what gets you up in the morning and and gets you doing this job yes true yeah <laughs> Excellent. And in your words, and, and this, you know, can be just an opinion, but, you know, or, or an ideal, ideal environment, but in your words, what should the ideal healthcare environment look like from an analytics perspective or just in general? Yeah, so um, I guess one thing that constrains health, I mean, certainly Victoria, is that um, there's a lot of disconnected and fragmented systems, not just within an organisation like ours, but even across the state as a whole. So, you know, a good example is the primary system for a hospital or health would be an, an EMR or electronic medical record. So basically the, you know, where doctors and nurses would be recording clinical information about the patients they treat. And, you know, that, that's that's a fundamental tool to, you know, to view a patient's history and understand what care has been provided. And so at Monash Health, we have our own local implementation of that. Other health services would have their own implementation, and which means, and they don't talk to each other. So, you know, you could be treated at Clayton, for example, under Monash Health, and then you could be, you know, a year later go and be treated at Northern Health and, you know, the, the two systems don't talk to each other. So it, it makes it quite difficult for clinicians in particular, you know, who would work at different hospitals to sort of see the full history. And then obviously that creates challenges for the government and anyone interested in doing research and quality improvement from a, just an overall data set point of view. So I think in an ideal world, they're probably one single system that would cover the the country or at least the whole state. And so that's that's probably the obvious one. And I think, you know, most clinicians you speak to would probably tell you the same thing. And then more generally from a, you know, from a health point of view, just, you know, I think we do an amazing job providing public health in Australia. But, you know, obviously the wait, the wait times are getting longer and longer. You know, people are waiting longer for elective surgery or specialist clinic appointments. COVID certainly made that worse. And, and clearly, you know, most urgent patient, patients get seen pretty quickly, but there's a lot of patients that have been waiting for for too long, you know, for their elective procedures. So, you know, ideally we could bring those numbers down and, you know, you know, improve the, the access to healthcare. Excellent, excellent. And look, I know that you mentioned obviously you've um, been at Monash in, in various different roles there and spent the last 10 years there. I imagine you've probably gone through, like you do with most organisations, a number of different iterations of what you're function and capability looks like I know it's sort of going back 10 years but can you paint a picture of what it was like when you first joined and maybe just give us a bit of an an idea of what the environment was like when you first joined Monash Health yeah sure yeah so the team team would have so that you know the BI team would have been a lot smaller it was you know when I joined it was was quite fragmented actually it was like probably um there wasn't a great culture of teamwork and sharing and people quite protective of you know their little patch and and the work they were doing so you know, sort of going back to the basics and just getting the foundations right, um, just understanding people's strengths and weaknesses, getting the right team structure in place, 
you know, putting processes in place and then even to the point where just, you know, ensuring that everyone had a job description and understood what their role was. So little things like that. And then, you know, um, and just, you know, getting quick quick wins on the board, um, you know, for key stakeholders. And then, you know, as you get some runs on the board, you can start expanding, you know, your capability. But, you know, to get from where we were then to where we are today, you know, I've had to do things like restructures, you know, which aren't always the best things to do, you know, report through to different executives who each, you know, each um, sort of understand data analytics in, you know, in a different way, you know, go through things like, you know, rolling out new platforms and technologies, sort of setting up new teams, you know, that, you know, we didn't, there was nothing around advanced analytics or data science 10 years ago, so, you know, setting up a team like that. So, yeah, just, just the nat- the natural growth and progression you, you go through, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And what was the technology landscape like when you joined? I mean, I think when people think back to before they knew anything about data analytics, they always just think it's just spreadsheets. But what was it like when you yeah. when you joined? Um, so, so Monash, so we are we were and we still are essentially a Microsoft shop. So the, the data warehouse was in SQL Server and that was, you know, that was um and it still is, even though it's now in the cloud. And there are, we're using a product called Reporting Services, which is sort of your traditional sort of can style reports. Um, and so, you know, a, a big gap was there was no sort of more advanced visualization tools, even though they did exist, like ClickView and Tableau and others. Um, that was clearly a gap. Yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of just you know responding to queries and giving data to people. Um, and so yeah, so the, so the obvious gap was just just sort of the the um data visualization software and you know we tried different products but ended up with Microsoft Power BI which was the obvious choice considering we're a Microsoft organization and um that's been pretty useful yeah excellent excellent obviously you you mentioned a few things there in your in your journey you know one of them was you know over the over the years you've you've reported to different executives you've obviously had to do restructures you've had to introduce new technology what would you say some of the the sort of biggest challenges or roadblocks were and and how did you overcome them you know maybe share a couple of examples of some of the things that you faced um as as a leader there yeah so i think like you know we we all in in this space probably think we don't have enough people and we don't have enough budget but i think um one, one thing i've learned is that you know if you build really good relationships and you can demonstrate value quite often quite often people will actually give you money in eft so a lot of a lot of the growth in our eft has been funded by business units you know either um saying well we're happy to fund an eft within your space or we've got a person that's interested in moving across it's been for the most part a net eft and, and a zero net EFT increase for the organization, but um it, it's you know without having to go and write business cases to get, you know, new EFT. Um and that goes even with dollars as well for specific projects. So I think so that that's one way to overcome the lack of staff is to, you know, you, the, I, to, the, there are there is money and there are people out there who are willing to give that to you if you can demonstrate value and build relationships. Um and so that's that's been one lesson. It's been challenging. No, we, we don't report through to ITs. So that's both got its strengths and weaknesses. But I think, you know, in the long run, it's probably made it harder to do some of the things we've wanted to do than if we were part of IT, you know, like rolling out new platforms and technologies and things like that. So that again, you know, it's just it's just building the relationship and um, going through the right processes. Yeah. And how did you overcome that sort of hurdle? Because that's a really, I think, a, quite an important one that you bring up there. Because that's again, that's not too dissimilar to not only organisations in the healthcare sector, but just in general, yeah. 
where functions are either reporting into finance or COO functions or CTO functions. How did you overcome that and how did you get that sort of buy-in to be able to make those changes with the technology that you were using and what things did you find useful? Yeah, so yes, a couple of things, you know, doing things like just starting off small, so, you know, doing maybe a proof of concept or a pilot. So with Power BI, we didn't go out and, you know, get huge amount of money. We just started with 50 licenses and we, and we built some really key dashboards for, say, our emergency department. And then the executives could see, wow, this is a pretty cool. And then, and then we, you know, the, the next year we asked for another 200 and then got to the point where, you know, exec, people would go to meetings and say, well, how come you've got a, you can access a dashboard on your iPad and I can't. And so basically um, everyone wanted it. And we just got to a point where we hit a critical mass where it was where it was cheaper just to basically license the whole organization rather than do it per user. So that was and then I think as we've moved more and more things to the cloud, then we've we've had less reliance upon IT. Um, because obviously everything's hosted, you know, in servers managed by the big, you know, the big on cloud vendors. So having things in the cloud has has really been helpful. It basically makes makes us for the most part self sufficient. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, it, and it takes away and it takes away the need to do things like you know like patches and upgrades because that that all happens automatically behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, and I think what you just mentioned there is is key. I mean, there's two things that I love about what you said, and again, it's quite common with leaders where sometimes you get frustrated leadership where they sort of say, oh, we're not getting the funding to to roll out uh, what we're trying to do. But I think what you said there is you really need to demonstrate value, and I think if you yeah. can do that. You people are prepared to spend the money, uh, but you have to be able to believe in what you're doing and be able to demonstrate that value. And sometimes it does come in in steps, like you've just mentioned there, where you you did it with what you had first. You kind of got some credibility, and then you just kind of expanded it from there. And I think sometimes when you you know you try to get too much investment up front before you've demonstrated any value, that that's always really hard. So I, I love what you said there because I think that's a common roadblock that um, leaders do face as well. Yeah, and, and I think and I think that the you know the fact that a lot of software is now subscription based helps. So it's, you know it's no longer a need to invest a lot of money in in a capital expenditure style. You know buy licenses you can so you can start off with a subscription model small and then scale up so it does help you know it, it's a probably easier now than it was to do 10 years ago yeah no definitely definitely now in terms of you know the analytics it, it's quite big and complex when it comes to healthcare so given there's so many I suppose fires that you're trying to put out or there's there's so much opportunity and, and this is one thing I think that's really fascinating about the healthcare data industry is that I think over the next five to ten years we're going to see some amazing innovative growth in this space and and the you know some of the things that that you professionals are working on at the moment are going to be you know like literally life-changing for for the patients the clinicians etc but how do you determine what to focus on and where to start? You know, how did you do that? I know when we were talking about things, you mentioned that you didn't try and kind of do everything at once or try and do a bit of everything, but you really kind of focused on some key areas. How did you kind of determine what are the ones that are important and then where to start and how did yeah, you start well, doing that? Yeah, that's a good question. And I guess it's not really me or my team that determines the priority, priorities. It's, I guess, the executives and the wider organisation. You know, we, like anyone else, would have a strategic plan and, you know, we have annual business plans and you know and we all we are also trying to you know meet the needs of probably 20 distinct customers when you when you go across all of our different service areas 
And, you know, so we, you know, the first thing is we give them the opportunity to decide what's important to them. And we don't try, you know, we try to guide them along the way. But again, it's all back to what's appropriate at the time. But it really, you know, for the most part, it's really focused on the same areas year on year. It's around, you know, progression of care. So, you know, can we, can we, can we make it easier for people to, to, you know, access our care? You know, can we reduce wait times? Can we, how can we facilitate optimal progression of care whilst a person, patient's in a hospital? Um, and there's quality and safety. So, you know, how can we ensure that we're providing optimal care and, you know, you know, not causing harm to patients? And then there's the, the operations around operational efficiency and, uh, you know, are we meeting our financial targets? And, and further to that as well, there's always, you know, in an organization like ours, we're always, always going through change. You know, even the last two years, we've done things like we've opened up a, a new heart hospital. Um, we've we've established a public IVF service. We've expanded our maternity services to Sandringham. So all of these things mean without really having a choice, there's going to be an impact on us as a team because there's a need for data and analytics and understanding. And I, and I guess you try to do all of those things, but at the same time have one eye on innovation. And, and, and so internally, we still try to also have our in, innovation projects um, and leave a little bit of time for those as well. Um, so it's a bit of a balancing act, I guess. Yeah. And in terms of, um, I suppose, you know, with, with regards to your team and, and delivering, obviously you mentioned you, you're working across the board with, you know, a variety of different stakeholders. Who who would you feel or who do you find are, are probably the ones that are, uh, are harder to kind of convince or harder to get them to utilise the data? Who do you find are your, you know, hardest um, kind of audiences? Uh, that's that's a good question. Um I think I think it's less about a type of role or a type of person, and I think it's more the easiest projects and the most successful projects are when when a, a, a business area comes to us with a with a clearly defined outcome or business pro- problem or opportunity, and they're invested from the start. Yeah, and then when we build something together, basically we know um, where it doesn't typically work is when we when we're sort of like being told to do some work. For somebody else or we decide just to do something and push it out then it won't work so sometimes you know people very high up think oh this is you know we should be doing this work and we'll try to push it out um, and that tends to have less success than if we just work directly with the end users um and and then then we then we know that they're basically they've been involved from right from the very beginning yeah. And what would your, how would you go about and what would your advice be, I suppose, in a situation like that where perhaps as a, an executive team, you do see that there's going to be value in implementing or, or utilising data in these functions. Um, and like you said, you know, just trying to push something out usually. And, and again, that's going to be the case with any, everyone, I think, is always you're going to face some resistance. How would you um, sort of, I suppose, slowly um, start to demonstrate the value to that kind of audience or those kind of stakeholders. What would your advice be? And can you give us maybe an example of where your team perhaps has done that, where they've not really used analytics or they've not relied on analytics and and you've kind of gone in and sort of helped them sort of see the value of that? Yeah, I'm just trying to th- I'm trying to think of some examples where we've pushed with um push it out. But I think a good example was um where we realised that there was an opportunity. There was, so there's there's a there's a system around um, just managing patients and bed requests and the number of beds, etc. And we we saw an opportunity that it, that that sort of data, if it was displayed in a really clever way and was being refreshed regularly, could provide real value around having visibility of the number of beds and where, which patients are coming in and going out and just 
the day-to-day flow of patients and then who's ready for discharge. And so so we, we ended up building a, you know, what we're calling a progression of care dashboard, um, which is which is probably taken years and years to build up to where it is now from, you know, from an idea. And now now it's a key tool being used at daily bed meetings, um, daily operations meetings. And it's it's really sort of a tool that they rely upon now just to get an overall view of their beds. But and you know some of the people at the time in the operations, you know they they were commenting. Well, people would maintain their own spreadsheets, and they'd come to these bed meetings. Yeah. And most of the discussion was about is the data right, and why does your say this and mine says that. And then then you know trying to aggregate it to, to the whole health service um, was difficult. So it was a bit. It was it was it was it was quite obvious that there'd be value once you knew what the problem was. Um, but we sort of had to demonstrate it. Yeah, excellent. And what and I suspect you've done this as an organization, but what approaches have you used to increase data literacy across the organization and your I suppose your users that that use the sort of data that you're providing? Yeah. So I think one thing we're focused on now is is to try and in, engage um in a consistent and in a consistent way with the different uh, different stakeholders and business areas and and part of that discussion is that if we want to be a mature data organization we need to we need to consider things like um data literacy as you said to ensure that you know everything we're building is you know is we're providing training to staff we we understand or they understand how they should use it and it's backed up by strong data governance and you know clearly defined um, rules around what the data means. So all of those things we're trying to do now formally with with all of the different business units. It's a bit of a slow slow burn. It'll take time. Yeah. But yeah, it certainly is on our radar. Absolutely. And I think um, somebody else that I was talking to mentioned that one thing that they're starting to do now is actually make data literacy part of their onboarding process and training. So every employee almost gets kind of taught that as part of their training and onboarding as to their their responsibility and their ownership for the data and what they have to do. So, you know, that's one thing I think that, you know, organisations are also trying to do as well, which, again, could be something that you could... I totally, I totally agree. And it's particularly because, like, people come and go. So, you know, you, you might work on something and then 12 months later there's a different group of people because people have changed roles and so if you don't have a consistent way of training people and you don't have a consistent way of ensuring that they all understand how to use data and what it means and you're right it, it sort of falls by the wayside yeah yeah Excellent. And what does the journey from here kind of look like? What progression or, you know, what, what are the things that you're looking at currently for, for your team and for Monash Health in terms of, you know, the next kind of two to three years? What does that kind of look like for, for you? What's what's on, what's your sort of vision? Yeah. So from a technology point of view, so there's, we're probably just going to explore how we can modernise our data platform just to just because we still have our data platform. It's in the cloud, but it's, the hard, it's hardware as a service. So we're going to see how we can maybe modernise that and see what other opportunities there are in that space. We'll be exploring a data governance platform, whether or not we, however long that takes, we'll see. And then I guess for, just from a data maturity, it's about going from moving from being a high-performing data analytics team to be to becoming, a, I guess, a high-performing data organisation. And as I mentioned before, it's about it's about almost setting up like a franchise model with how we engage with different parts of the business because it all gets it all gets back to people and how they use data, how they interpret data, and how they govern data. And so um, the challenge for us is we're such a large organization that we just have so many different parts of the organization to deal with. So that's the challenge for us is just to, is as we try to do this, 
you know, we have very good technical people. Now we need good people with, um, we need people with good business engagement and communication skills to get the message out so that everyone is thinking about data the same way, um, understanding the value we can get from data in the same way, not just us, but everyone in the organisation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And over the over the ten years, obviously you 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 built up your team. You've probably had people come and go as well. You know, as they sort of progress in their careers. And this is a common discussion that we do have because we, we do work with other healthcare organisations and other leaders as well. That working in the healthcare sector can be quite complex. So you know, if you don't understand the lingo, if you don't really understand the environment, it can be quite challenging coming into that kind of industry can you shed some light on perhaps some of the I suppose things you've seen over the last 10 years in terms of what's really worked what have you found have there been opportunities for people who perhaps haven't been in the sector and at what level would they kind of enter because I think the listeners that listen to the podcast vary from you know a couple of years experience to obviously you know yourself so it'd be just really good to understand um, a little bit more about those kind of challenges perhaps or or successes that you've had around when you've when you've been recruiting for your team yeah so so you are right like there it is you know it is a complex environment the first thing i say you don't have to be a doc you don't you don't have to have the same level of knowledge as a doctor isn't it you know you don't need to understand different you know how you know how to perform a surgery things like that you know um it's more around you just understanding how a hospital operates you know so the different different care settings what a patient journey looks like etc 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 um which in itself is challenging and i think probably it's probably i reckon probably three to six months before our new starters just start getting up to speed and yeah that just um i think in terms of re- one one thing i changed was just in terms of recruitment so I, I now always use a recruitment agent so i find i get a better result than just doing it myself and it's less time consuming and just having good team support yeah you know, we, you know just having a bit of a buddy system you know having somebody that can bounce you know just check in with to answer questions because there's a lot of acronyms as well you know there's yes. a lot of acronyms and a lot of assumptions about people knowing what things mean and yeah, it just takes time you know it's quite often somebody will just work on a particular data set or area like might be pharmacy or imaging and just let them work on that for six months yeah don't don't throw them into everything from day one yeah give yeah. them sort of understand a particular area properly before you kind of expose them to others yeah yeah correct and, yeah. and do, do you find ben that people who come who've come to your team come from a medical or healthcare background have found it a little bit more easier the transition or have you found um and this i know this is dependent on the role because if you have a more senior role it yeah. probably helps or have you found that perhaps that one to two year mark where somebody perhaps hasn't worked in the healthcare sector but has got analytics experience can come in and like you said you can give them an opportunity to kind of learn learn the different parts of it i mean yeah what have you found have you found it's helpful to have that medical health i mean it, it, and it obviously it would be helpful and it'd be probably helpful in any industry it's not essential i mean i'd say most of the people i've recruited aren't from a health background you know people you know you're looking for smart people that can learn essentially um and at the same time a lot of the the most of the people with clinical background i.e they've actually worked as a nurse or a doctor midwife have actually seconded into the team and then sort of upskilled as opposed to just yep so it's you know it's not it's not essential really um you know i'd be looking first and foremost that they've got the right technical skills the right aptitude to learn and the right communication skills um and that would be the probably the number one thing 
Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for that because I think a lot of the okay. listeners, a lot of a lot of the listeners do kind of wonder whether it's yeah. um, it's easy to transition in or but but it's great to hear that you've 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 had a team where you've you know you've not necessarily focused on that and still been able to build a high performing team. Well, look, Ben, it's been really, really great to hear your thoughts and, and sharing your journey with the listeners. What I usually find is when people do hear the podcast, they'll usually try and connect with you or reach out to you via LinkedIn. Are you happy for them to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, look, thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to sharing this with the All listeners. Right. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you.